Hello and welcome to this Film Ireland podcast with me, Paul Farron. I'm talking to Lorcan Finnegan and Gar Shanley, the writer and director of uh, Vivarium, not necessarily in that order. Yeah, the opposite <laughs> order, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming into us. So just to start, uh, I would like we warn everybody that this is actually not going to be a spoiler-free. That's not spoiler-free chat we're going to have. We're going to give away all the secrets of this film and I would really suggest don't listen any further until you've gone to see it that means you've got to go and see it uh, now if this is when you're listening to it and then come back and listen to this brilliant podcast about the secrets behind the making of it's not right girl yes that's right <laughs> listeners <laughs> so well then let's start off by talking um what is this film about i'd like to get you guys to do the plot synopsis Either, either, one of you guys jump in there and tell me what Vivarium is about. I'll give you like a little intro thing, then Gar can get into the deep philosophical meaning. Um, now, we don't want to bore them at the start <laughs> of the interview now, we'll do that at the end. It's a young couple who are looking to buy their first home. Uh, they go into an estate agent's. He's a very weird, mesmeric, convincing kind of guy. He convinces them to follow him out to this brand new development called Yonder, where all the houses look exactly the same. They um, have a look around the house with the guy. He's being weird. The place is weird. And they feel like getting out of there. They turn around and he's vanished. So they're like, right, let's go. They jump in their car and they start driving. But no matter what way they go, they keep pulling up outside the same house, number nine. Um, And soon realize that they're trapped there. And then things get progressively worse for them. So it falls into the remit of being a horror film. Would we agree? Yeah, sci-fi horror. Yeah, it could be an episode of the Twilight Zone, that which is, to people these days is extreme art house to the max. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Leave for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait. No, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How if we just... Want me to drive? Such a joke. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh, my God. The inspiration for it, where did it come from? Uh, Besides the Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh, well, we made, a, we made a short film together uh, that Garrett had written as a short story on his blog, uh, fugtheworld.blogspot.com. Yeah. Subscribe. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was a, a short story that we kind of adapted into a short film script that we got funding for from Screen Ireland. And then we made... In 2011, it was set in a ghost estate. Yeah, I remember. Um, about a young couple who are kind of trapped in this um, housing development that goes on and on and on. But um, the young woman kind of finds escape by rejoining nature, which is kind of re- coming back in and reclaiming the place. Just to mention to everybody, this is your second feature film together, your third yeah. project together, am I right? Yes. Right. And they all kind of relate back to Foxes because Without Name is almost a kind of mm. mystical version of some of the themes yeah, and elements that are yeah. uh, a show in Vivarium. With, with Foxes, it was like the girls sort of liberated by the Foxes in a way. Uh, in the second one, we were just talking about the links between, we've talked about the links between them before. So in the second one, Without Name, she's kind of saved by nature. I suppose a common theme could be like that we're insulated from nature. We don't really have a relationship with nature. So if you take Vivarium, it's like a real exaggeration. I don't want to tell people what to, how to interpret movies, actually. No, 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 we won't talk. No, but we'll still talk uh, about what, what drives you, what, what interests you as a writer. And definitely Entrapment and that idea of that paranoia of being just kind of caught within the system that's out of, fo- out of sync with everything else is definitely very prevalent in yeah, Bavaria. Yeah, yeah. And then even the roles and that that we take on where she's the teacher, he's the handyman. They're, they're quite specific roles they have within it. Mm. To, to tell a bit more about the script, they're trapped in the place and suddenly they still take on kind of the various roles that yeah. they'd be deemed to have. Yeah. And him digging a hole, like going to work every morning. Uh, to, oh, you also have to say, you, you've got a wonderful cast, Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, one review I read, which was quite funny, was I didn't believe Jesse Eisenberg would be able to do handy work. 
I said, does he really, really ruin himself that much with all those other roles that no yeah. one could believe he could he could put a tool belt around his waist? He was actually he was actually real helpful on he set. Was he was carrying brilliant. sandbags and uh, no, like even yeah. between scenes, he actually wanted to help out, like <laughs> carrying tripods and stands and That's sandbags what we and stuff. You know, so it wasn't a union set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so they take on the roles and then the, they they try their best within the circumstance. I mean, the the, the big twist at the end is that they're be, they're told uh, at an early stage if they raise this child that comes in a nice IKEA box <laughs> or a DHL box, I don't know what you want to call it. It's a baby, um, and they've said when you raise it, you will be released. Again, I'm not going to say what the twist is, but there's a lovely, with the notion of release is quite different at the end of it than you expect. Yeah. Um, and you made some interesting choices though in terms of narrative. Said like you really jump from the baby to the five, six-year-old, was it? Yeah. And you cut out all that bit in the middle. And I thought it worked. It was a very unusual gap to create. Yeah, yeah. it was like that from even draft one, I think, wasn't it? No. Uh, in draft one, um, actually, I, I had to be won over to the idea that the kid grew up quickly. In my, That's how I remember it. Really? Yeah. And I forget what it was, but I don't even know. Maybe I've been won over to it by draft one. I just It's so long ago. We were working on the movie for years. like. Mm-hmm. Well, what I seem to remember anyway is me not wanting the kid to grow up rapidly like he does, like the speed of a dog stuff, and to have it that it was like they'd been there for ages, but that would have been completely screwy. You know, the actors would have to be aged and stuff. I seem to have some memory of that. But um, no, then... Well, you the, create such an environment. But the main thing you're, you're asking about is the, the jumps between yeah. the acts. Yeah. What was the idea it was the Well, the, the idea was that we were going to try and show youth middle age and old age yeah. in a way condensed mm-hmm. so act one is like youth and they're all kind of full of hope and joy and all that kind of stuff and they're having a laugh together and then the middle act is like middle age where the kid kind of comes between them and drives them apart and they have all these f- arguments and stupid stuff spending you know they start end up kind of go- coming apart and he's spending all the time in the garden digging a hole and she's kind of forced into this sort of maternal role by the kid manipulating her and then the final act is like they come back together having regretted spending all that time apart kind of thing, but it's all a bit late. <laughs> <laughs> Go and see the film before you listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I got. Right. But it is funny, I should say. I mean, if you've got my sense of humor, I thought it was very funny. Yeah, yeah, we find it funny. quite black. But can take us to the production design. It's a gorgeous looking film. Between you really, there's so much involved in, in in the color schemes and the whole diorama effect that still feels like a sort of a reality. How, how much work went into that between writing and designing you as director? Because like, obviously he started the story, but you're you're telling the story yeah, yeah, as well, yeah. and you're bringing the visuals. Yeah, like in, but I remember like early on, I don't know at what point, but anyway, in the script, the place was described as looking like. Um, Looking like Magritte's painting Empire of Light, which has this these kind of fluffy white clouds against a blue sky and a kind of slightly too dark for the environment foreground. So it's kind of it's a surrealist painting, basically. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's the first real sign, sign apart from the, the lunatic kind of a uh, estate agent, is the clouds, is the sky. Yeah, yeah. And Martin being um, like the writing of him, he was very kind of uh, I, I always read it as being kind of funny, weird, like that kind of. Coming up on some sort of psychedelic where things are like, oh, this is funny, but it's also scary. Yeah, so like all of that was kind of in the script. So then it was just trying to make it a reality in the film it was obviously challenging because the place was described as having no wind, no rain, no insects, no planes ever go by. There's no sounds apart from mm-hmm. <clears throat> sound place, all that stuff. So um, we had to build it, really. So we built it in a warehouse in Belgium. We built three facades of houses, like three fronts, three gardens, a bit of footpath, a bit of road, a car. But so we had to use that for everything pretty much. So like we'd shoot, you know, the actors would have to be, fa- you know, with the camera would have to be faced into that. And then for the reverse angle, we'd have to flip the lighting and shoot back into the same background, take the nine off the door, get rid of the hole, the hole back in, put the thing. And then in the evenings, we shot plates, um, stepping the camera back, she played, step the camera back, she played to make like 2D set extensions. And then the whole set was scanned with a LiDAR scanner as well to be able to make uh, a kind of accurate 3D mm-hmm. version of it for a few shots. There's <clears throat> only about, I think it's only really about two or three shots that are fully CG. 
um, like just driving in there. You wouldn't think that to look at it. It's quite a expansive kind of world you create. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of set extensions. Yeah, uh, like most of them are two D, uh, kind of two D mats. So we had like green screen or blue screen actually, because the heads were green, either end of the set, and yeah, that's how we we shot it. And the yeah, the, the color palette was kind of. Um, I got a little bit of time to experiment with that before. Uh, like in in Meg, you know, probably about a year before, as part of the pitching thing, we uh, to try and get the finances to put together tests and a book and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, a friend of mine, John O'Connell, he works in ILM now in Canada. He's a brilliant CG artist. Uh, gave me a hand doing this kind of drive through a kind of estate, and we we actually scanned Andy Clark from Outer Limits. Gave me a hand as well. He uh, did some photogrammetry of, which is like taking photos and you kind of make a 3D model of it, of a house down in Leitrim. And we used that as a kind of basis for this kind of uh, environment test, like driving through a place to figure out how wide the road would have to be, how much reflectivity wow. we'd have on objects, uh, the gaps between the houses, all that kind of stuff, which we use then as, as, a, as a kind of pitching thing. But um I got to tweak around the colors as well because because it's uh, the effects you can kind of just roll the. Was it a good learning curve though for hue. what you were going to do for the future? Uh, totally, for yeah, the yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah. Well, <laughs> it made us have these massive plans <laughs> that we weren't able to actually do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that part of the whole? Game? Yeah, 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 totally. But then we got that nice greeny color as a kind of it's sort of uh, like green in nature is very kind of like verdant and nice and natural, but. Green taken completely yeah, it's kind of sick. away from sickly, it. Yeah, sickly, sickly green. It looks like toxic waste. It looks like a witch's What did you do potion. when he starts digging into the garden and breaks into that soil? That soil was fantastic. The consistency of it was just so wrong. Yeah, I think that came like from the, cabin. It hits sewage. <laughs> I think that, that, that soil really did actually come from like from cabin, 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 cabin or modern. Uh, yeah. So the, the artificiality must have been a great bonus to these actors. That's kind of the, the sterility. You can't actually say it doesn't work for the film because it's what it's all about. Did that Was that the case? Did they have it? Was it a tough shoot for the actors? Uh, yeah, I think it was. But I mean, it, like like we're saying with that three-act structure, it's, it's almost like a play in some weird ways. Mm. Um, so it was like we had the, a big set stage set thing for them to act on. So like on, the exteriors of the house were built in Belgium and then the interiors were in Ardmore, okay. in Wicklow. So... Uh, it was a bit tricky with the kind of continuity and levels of anger or sadness or whatever. Um, but I think they did. I think they did enjoy. And even I kind of went a bit, everyone went a bit kind of cabin mad in uh, in Belgium because we're in this massive warehouse um, in the middle of nowhere. How long? Uh, for 10 days. And it was like an amazing summer. Um, oh, the, the I was, was roasting <laughs> outside. No, it was just like we didn't experience that did at all. Did you avoid all this car? Yeah, I was swimming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was like jumping into the sea swimming around. Um, but we were in this in the dark, you know, shooting nighttime uh, scenes in the middle of the day because we were able to control all the lighting and all that, obviously. But so, like, it was kind of, it probably did work in a weird way that we were constantly walking around the set. And even the confusion around shooting the reverse angles, flipping everything the whole time, it was kind of a weird puzzle in your brain trying to figure it out and for them as well, which... Kind of added to the uh, within uh, the real narrative, actually. To, to, to continue what you're talking, about, is there a point where they understand where Son? Uh, I can't remember. Is there, is there just moments in the story where they understand it's nearly nighttime now, or does it suddenly kind of happen? Like remember the moment where they're waiting for things to happen, like the package arrive, and they just blink, <laughs> and the package is there. Was, yeah. the, was the dusk and dawn things like that within the narrative? Um. Yeah, I mean, there was the nighttime written in, and dusk yeah, and yeah, the night was the the sun just kind of like was described in different ways. I mean, it was a ring on a cooker that just gets dimmer quickly. Okay. And then yeah. it was covered by the clouds, do you remember, and all this. I oh, mean, yeah, there's yeah, a, lot yeah. of th- a lot of things, uh, you know, they're realised in a, in, a, in a different way. But it they do have days. Like, the characters do have days. They have a daytime and a nighttime. One in a hole and one trying to educate uh, growing, mm. her growing son. Yeah, and then they tried to follow the, the son as well at the start. And this, you know... So just the whole place is just monkey. Did you ever have them break into any of the other houses? Yep. We actually did have a scene. Good question. Yeah. That's and what you would do, isn't it? <laughs> oh, first thing I would have done. Yeah. I wouldn't have waited for the next day. <laughs> yeah. I think like early drafts, we had all that kind of stuff that like the very kind of logical stuff of like, oh, look for a phone line, look for a thing. Da, da. Yeah. But then it started turning into like, 
if you if you're gonna go real world logic the whole way through, then it might as well be like a TV series like Lost or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I just kept thinking of it. I said like a vivarium kids go and check out what that word means. <laughs> if the film doesn't yeah. make sense, to you we did have any animal you put it in that artificial environment with little rocks, you know, for, for use. Give Cahill a shout out that Cahill named it. You know, yeah. Cahill yeah. Duggan. Yeah. And he's a wonderful comic book artist. Yeah, yeah. and to the book in it as well. Um, Cahill did the drawings, the diagrams. How much book. work did he put into that? It looked like it was a bit too much detail in it. I was worried for him. Put in a lot. I think well, the illustrations. And then he, he did a kind of alphabet as well. Or it's like beautiful. A, it's a good looking yeah. stuff. And I also designed the, like he did a bunch of kind of concept work, but um, you know, the estate agents walk in all the little houses mm. uh, with welcome mats. Um, that was based on a drawing he did. Which is pretty mm. cool. So, what was the question? Just about bit. kicking in a door. Remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. breaking into the other houses. Yeah, we had that. We we were talking about well, what would they do? What would we do? What would anyone do? Uh, also, as well, helping a bit with to show that Tom has a bit of a short fuse. He thinks in a different way to Gemma. He's a bit more like just kick everything down, see what's behind it kind of thing. I think that was a bit in it too. But mm. they went and they booted down a door and. We had this whole idea that the just the other house would be freezing and that it would and be empty. empty and like a, a kind of not fully like embryonic, like not fully, you know. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Because as we learn later on, this this thing is going on everywhere in different ways. Other dimensions maybe are the same place. You never know. You yeah. yeah. I do know. It's, it's, well, <laughs> you know, don't tell them. It's, it'd be enigmatic about it, okay? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. won't be too full on spoiler. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's open to interpretation. Yeah, and it, it struck me with science fiction is that in science fiction, the monster is often explained. In horror, you just walk away and it's like, what the fuck was that? And in this, it's like um, a bit of both, you know? But we did discuss what those, what those guys are, and we do know. Oh, and, good. and if you buy the Wouldn't Vivarium you Annual, <laughs> you can find out. For uh, Christmas. Got, for Christmas, <laughs> ideal for kids. There's yeah. fun puzzle pages in it. There's a maze and you can't get out of it. Yeah. But that's the tightrope you walk with this kind of storytelling, is that stepping too far. But some people are so literal. Again, maybe it's just not your audience and they're just not going to like totally. it. And you are going to, you obviously have loads of people going, what the fuck was that about? And enigmatic is hard. You know, there's, there's enigmatic and just confusing. Yeah, yeah I think we've already given them enough, though. Yeah. Well, it tells a story, and you come away with an impression and, a, and an it's going down from better, it. going down better than without name did anyway. I mean, I like without name a lot. You yeah, bastards. <laughs> but it, it's it, without name did quite well. It got some great reviews. No, no, a lot of people liked it, but but a lot of people. I just think it's about a fellow who'd had a bad trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I read those reviews. Which it but kind of is Do you as not well, find so. that uh, there's that kind of thing where sometimes when someone doesn't get it, you go, yes, that's a result, because I didn't expect you to get it anyway. Yeah, and that's your fault. <laughs> I think it's a bit of that kind of left brain, right brain kind of thing. It's some people who are... It's also, it's like... You know, it's like food or something. Like if you're if you're into interest in you know eating weird stuff, you're gonna have a palate yeah, for I suppose it. It's you, know? what, you got a soap opera brain or a, a philosophical brain almost. Yeah. So tell me this. Um, let's go back a bit. How did you guys meet up, hook up, and end up kind of working together as a writer director? Um, it was the Catalyst Festival. Do you remember the one? I do because I was in the same shortlist. Yeah, as you. yeah. I was hanging around with you in the days yeah. and. Um, and you get that's what that was what funded. First time I met Larkin, we were introduced by Ed Godsell, uh, and do you know him? Um, I know the name. I don't think I've met him. And uh, I know I don't know what happened. No, I, I think it was amazing. It was like two thousand seven. Muldowney as well. Helped. Muldowney, yeah, yeah, I remember Brandon. But we both posted something on that weird forum. Is that it? They, you see, weird forums will always bring people together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, what, what I really meant was, what was the catalyst? The 30s so we won't forum, go into the full details of all the people, you know, that <laughs> yeah. got you together. Yeah, yeah. What was the click for you to... Well, we were both looking, like, it, the catalyst project was supposed to be like, you know... Oh, so you actually did meet through that? It was that, literally called yeah. the catalyst project. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were looking... I, I already had... We already had a writer-director team. Yeah. And... Um, uh, yeah, it was going to be the last were, yeah. sort of... Um, thing I was going to go to I was like oh god because I'd sent I'm easily discouraged and I'd sent out loads of scripts and stuff and it's just people didn't really you know they're I just thought it's just you know it's too, it's too difficult it was an, my ambitious project catalyst if anyone remembers this is when we had the Irish film board yeah. said Irish screen and it's only the, I think it's the second time it happened isn't it, it this was the it's, first time we met though 
was yeah. actually the first one of it, which was yeah. 2007. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you met a 2007 one. And yeah. Like, oh, brilliant. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. We didn't yeah, get it. We, yeah. we yeah. did a project that was like a comedy sci-fi thing about a doppelganger oh, okay. and... Transhumanism. Uh, and, and, sort of lampooning and transhumanism. Is, is, is it on the back burner? Might it come back? It could actually be good. I was saying this to Gary just last week. It could be a good TV thing. I think you might be in the... The Zeitgeist might be right for it. Yeah. Yeah, well... It was um, pretty funny. It was, But it was never going to be able to make... We were never going to be able to make it for the money. Like the money, yeah. We were just completely but, naive. But, but our name was ambitious as well. You did an awful lot for a very tight budget there. But yeah. we need, that was yeah more realistic though compared to it was more realistic approach compared okay. to. Although uh, I put in some fairly tall demands, and guide flocks of geese <laughs> taken yes. off at certain times, and uh, uh, yeah, a couple uh, of uh, other wingspan things. sizes. If I know you, yeah, yeah. faces yeah. described as like a cathedral <laughs> of light. Yeah, which I think, I think, I think, <laughs> is he still using that line? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they kind of achieved it though. You know what I mean? So literally, don't have to build a cathedral out of sticks. But what do you think your sensibilities are that meet? Obviously, you like weird stuff and left to centre. But to elaborate, because I'm making the sense. I think that was it. Like I think we were both into kind of weird stuff and comedy more probably at the time. Okay. And like we were planning on doing a comedy, and Garrett had written all those funny stories on his blog and stuff, and I'd read them. I thought they were hilarious. And I'd come from doing comedy stuff in the UK. And, yeah, I don't know, we, we were planning on doing a kind of absurdist, surrealist kind of comedy, sci-fi thing. And we liked a lot of the same movies, all that kind of 60s, 70s sci-fi. What is your comedy list? Give me your quick, quick favourite comedies of films. Films that are yeah, comedies? Yeah, that, yeah, whatever, anything, TV, I don't mind. Um, same as everybody else, you know what I mean? Georgia <laughs> Mildred. Yeah, Man Georgia Mildred. Um, Robin's Nest. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, love thy neighbour controversially <laughs> I know that's a joke I don't like that I, I want to see the other version where the white guy goes to Jamaica no one's ever talked is about there? that is there is <laughs> there <laughs> <laughs> I'm pitching here yeah, if it. anyone's out there <laughs> no but gr- growing up uh, uh, Monty Python uh, Vic Reeves my father used to go look at this Vic Reeves shite and then he'd call us he'd go it's on again that shite you watch and, and he'd, he'd watch, he'd watch it. it yeah mm-hmm. um, that was back in the Big night out days, you know. Yeah. Um, Before Bob had a credit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what else? Not the nine o'clock news and all that stuff. You Do you remember those but big kind Spike of... Spike Milligan. I love love uh, Peter Cook. Mm. I, I think he's a fucking genius. Excuse my language, sorry. No, um, you're, you're allowed to swear. It's okay. You yeah, particularly love Peter Cook. Thanks, and, Steve. I know. Okay. Um, so that sensibility is what you're bringing to your, your, uh, cat- last, your catalyst entry. So yeah, we, we applied with this thing. We call it, it was called Utopia. It was before the TV called show called yeah. Utopia. It's pretty good. We we were shortlisted and we thought uh, we we were we were going to get it, and then we didn't because they said it was too ambitious. And I think also the Irish Film Board, as it was called then, where uh, it was like I think Simon Perry was the head at the time. Yeah, they're more into drama, I think, than what we were trying to do at the time. So we were like, ah, oh, shit, we didn't get it, and we. Then we're kind of rethought about what to do, and we um think oh we also uh you wrote that thing called the, the slump. slump yeah yeah the slump, the slump. <laughs> it was heavy yeah, yeah it was it was a, bit, it was a kind of recessiony thing yeah the this slump, big giant the s- monster actually it it kind of ate shot out furniture like IKEA yeah 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 and oh, you did a picture of it though I have monster. him hanging in my flat like kind of Ray Harryhausen doll horror film that was the idea yeah. it actually yeah. was going to yeah. be a kind of claymation mix I of like live and you were going to do tilt shift is that what it's called and all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah 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 see Lor- Lorcan you've got a great head on you for effects you come from that kind of uh, headspace as a director not every director does I studied graphic design and then got into kind of motion graphics and then uh, animation later um, and then my first few shorts were animated um, okay and then uh, realized uh, that actors animated in real or time uh, they were always kind of a mix because I didn't study animation I kind of had to teach it myself okay. or t- teach myself how to do stuff so they were always kind of a mix of like live action and animation and, and like you know uh, after effects and then bits of stop motion and whatever really techniques to get the thing moving but yeah after we we did, we applied for the, that thing, the slump, and we didn't get it as yeah. well. That was supposed to be Frameworks, which was the Arts Council and the Film yeah. Board. We were shortlisted again, didn't get it. And then we actually, I think, uh, you, you'd you written that short story, Foxes, and I read it on his blog and was like, let's do that. I, it's got it's got enough kind of political 
things to say. But it was all ghosts to say. Uh, exactly. Landed, We'd also so. start to talk about Nick Rogue and people like that more. Mm. You know, that did quite well. It got a, it did really well festival wise, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it kind of really did help, kind of lead to into your features. Totally, definitely, definitely it's an example of a short help. Yeah, when John ex- John made the houses, didn't he? And then what was it? Well, we shot on location, so there was kind but of replicated. Those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, then the idea of it, like that forever, um, you know, I think that might be it uh, that led to Favarian mm-hmm. talking about just the housing taking on forever. It's hard to tell which came first and stuff. We've even talked about Favarian before. Foxes, I don't know. No, we were because I remember in Foxes was in South by Southwest, I think it showed first, and then it was also in Tribeca and or the other end. But either way, I, was, I remember having a meeting in Tribeca with some like uh, agents and producers and all that kind of stuff, and going there with a kind of I think we had like a very basic outline for Varium yeah. as okay. a kind of like seeing as this uh, short is doing so well. And we wanted to do a feature in the same kind of tone or, or, you know, around the same kind of themes or ideas or expand upon them. And um, we should have something uh, ready to, to go. So it was very in existence before without name as a script? Yeah, yeah. as an idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, as a yeah. script as okay. well, definitely. Yeah. But obviously without name is the easier one to make based on... Now we were like, it, it was, um, we optioned uh, our company... Lovely Productions, my company with a have with Brunella, um, Coquilla, my wife, hadn't made a feature at the time. And Varian was a very kind of big, ambitious kind of thing. So we were advised by Screen Ireland to option it to um, Fantastic Films for them to start going, trying to get due to the kind of European co-production and, okay. and get the finance Again, together. because they had a good reputation as well. And they'd been doing all that stuff mm-hmm. for a few years. So we optioned then the script and then <clears throat> it took ages like the self funding thing can take years, you know, just applications and waiting and blah, blah, blah. So that was going on in the background. And then the other catalyst thing came up again. In the uh, meantime. In the meantime. Okay. And we were like, do you know what? Vivarium is still ages out. We should, because uh, we were developing as well with film four. Like that went on for two years. Mm. So we were like, okay, let's put in something, just make a film. Because this is taking too long. We were getting impatient. Why you just die waiting? Yeah. So do you find though with a horror film, there's it's easier to do the pitch because they have a reputation for making money no matter what the hell? We, I didn't know that at the time. I do know that now, but it's the problem is that the horror that we're interested in doing is it's like it's a thinking man's horror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like art meets horror genre or something. Yeah, it probably would have been considered more conventional in the past, but now it seems to be a very fixed idea of what horror is. Well, I mean, Larkin does more pitching than I do, so I don't really know how yeah. people react in the pitching yeah. stage. But I think there's also kind of revival of that more art house horror that was around in the 60s, 70s, Well, how much 80s. do you think it has trans transmuted in the last 10 years? Because you've got the likes of Blumhouse. Yeah. Fall, so, I found generally mainstream, but they fall into interest. In you know, it's like, com- of, it's like comedy. Like you have, it seems to me, and there's no, and I'm not complaining about any particular type of horror here, right? But like, you have comedy that's about like delivering laughs on a regular basis. And even when I was young, I was like, I can only watch. Uh, I have to break up like naked gun movies into episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes you about a year to watch a trilogy of naked gun. <laughs> I would be exhausted by them after about 15 minutes, you know. What, well, because so many laughs or just so much going on? Just, just so, yeah, so, well, much, so t- it's funny. Have you seen the TV series? That, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then you'd have like a... a I mean, a, Police a, Squad is the art house version of Naked Gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Police Squad slow is a moving. bit slower. Yeah, That's more slow my pace. <laughs> yeah. okay, so we're, po- we're Police Squad, we're not Naked Gun. <laughs> but you know, like you might have another comedy then that would be like, uh, you know, uh, With Nail and I, let's say. Yes. And, uh, it's just like a barrel of laughs. It's a barrel really of laughs. It's the right mood. But it's not all about getting all the laughter them as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's comparable with what horror is now. Um, as it seems to me, that, like when I watch things like The Conjuring or whatever, that there's a, a kind of a quota of scares, even if they're I can see, I see jump it be measured. Yeah, yeah. It's the, and yeah. the jump scares become such a, a cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas okay. I remember when I was little, like watching, well, I shouldn't have been watching it, but I suppose, but uh, Don't Look Now. 
Yes, one of my, my favourite. Yeah, and the family were all there. And I just remember we didn't really know what the... We didn't have a clue what the film was about. Mm. Just my sister, you know, is the eldest, just like, oh, this is really fucking weird. And the rest of us just <laughs> not knowing. But we knew something bad was happening, but we didn't know what. And we were only kids. Mm. But we got that sort of sense of it. And we got carried along by it. And um, I think that there's lots of good films being made now and it's not like that conservative an age. But I think sometimes with horror, you, you know, there's... Am I right? I mean, like, there just seems to be sometimes when you see reactions to things, you're like, it wasn't that kind of horror. You know, yeah, yeah. you were expecting this... I think a lot of the good well, stuff is still it, around. It's more about that it just doesn't get that great uh, distribution. Yeah. Or, like, unless it has, like, really big cast. Well, as you say, it's based on, like, you've got your date horror and uh, a doll seem to be big in yeah. Conjuring doll. Is that... What's that Annabelle, one? Brahms? Or, I don't know if it's, it's doll. What the hell it is? It's great, Annabelle. It's great fun as well. Like, you know, like, back in the... Before we were born, you'd have had William Castle doing his uh, Tingler, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, you know, the house in Haunted Hills, not him. And a 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts, right? And all those gone and like the kids screaming. I was saying to yeah. you, like, and there's good crack going to, if you're going to see a shy horror, go and see it when teenagers are going to see it. Because they go bananas. <laughs> and that's good fun. Yeah, uh, Vivarium came after without name, but it should have come first. But yeah, that's the toughest part, isn't it? Pitching. Um, yeah, it was more <laughs> financing. That's what took ages on Vivarium. Um, just the way, just the structure of it, uh, because it's Belgian, Danish, Irish, Euromage, American sales company. Do yeah, sales, I know. Blah, blah, blah. So when you see the amount of credits go at the start of a European film, they was like, yeah, I know. <sighs> yeah. Um, Do you get 10 pence off each of them? Well, I recommend people watching a legal stream of Vivarium while the, uh, <laughs> the production credits are going up at the start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the US um, release, because I did a, a director's commentary thing, there was like 13, including there, like the things Lionsgate and Saban come up first. And then all of the things, it's like 13 logos at the beginning. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm surprised I didn't see a green Power Ranger somewhere in the background. Just references to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that joke in. Um, also, I saw, I went to see it with the, uh, the Wildcard Day Out. That's when I saw it, and the French trailers on it. Oh right, yeah. And I couldn't get over it as you. I think it was I heard you said it that don't watch the damn trailer. I mean, talk about spoilers. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the French trailer is brilliant. Have you seen the French trailer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Did, were you involved oh, yeah. in any of that work at all? Yeah, they send you stuff. Um, to, it is a tough one to do a trailer to approve. For. Yeah, totally. I did think it'd be very difficult. So when the American one was sent first, I did think it was a bit long and a bit uh, spoilery, but then. You know, it's it's a different market there where they're trying to, um, it's a much bigger kind of audience that they're trying to get, especially mm-hmm. uh, like cause they'll just do, a, I think it's 12, 15 cities or something as a, um, in the- theatrically, but they're releasing day and date so that's going out on VOD at the same time. So that's like to get people in, you know, middle of nowhere to go, oh, that was good, you know, even though it shows a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Apparently, that's just how they do things there. That's why you see so many trailers that show way too much. Like yeah. I sent them references. Like I sent them the um, what I sent the Shining reference uh, as a trailer, where it just shows the elevator doors open and blood pouring out. It's like total minimal, just one shot. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be uh, that didn't quote happen. Kubrick now and again and say, look, but it's like <laughs> this one. Yeah, I know. Because marketing again is the tough part because then we're worried about demographics and as if the film, the film is, deserves a wider reach than just a few kind of chin scratchers. It's, it's a good little, yeah. it's got a nice bit of pulp in it as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Like I was saying, though, it's, like, it's like a Twilight Zone, you know. And when we're telling stories, we also like to have, because we've got two other ones, you know, we're working on at the moment, and uh, possibly a third one. Well, I won't talk about that one. <laughs> and um, But to have some kind of context for it that people can relate to in their lives, you know what I mean? It's not yeah, just a story yeah. for story's sake. So if you looked at, like, the Twilight Zone, you know, back in the day, it might seem very crass to us now and stuff, you know, like, to some people, yeah, it's like hammering home a message or something, but... There's always some sort of context, you know, without name was about relationship to land and about sort of property. Communicating with nature. Communicating with nature is it, is it, is it it's like it's something that people should be talking about, our relationship yeah. with nature. Some people are, 
like deep green eco-resistance people and so on. I don't want to endorse anyone or I like. And then you have um, uh, uh, foxes, which which was you know there was all those ghost estates around and stuff. And it was for uh, Irish people still there. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and from <coughs> Vivarium as well is the size. I think it's like you know a Twilight Zone thing as opposed to a very sort of out there. I know what you mean. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's socio political. Yeah, uh, yeah. Would you say that's going to be another chord in all your work in, in in all your films? We're very political. <laughs> well, actually, they, they are. <laughs> well, they are. Yeah. In, in a funny way, but I mean, that's you know being able to. Uh, explore ideas or talk about things in a kind of entertaining way through genre is mm-hmm. uh, that's what is interesting to me. And you don't hammer it home or be annoying, right? Yeah, but, like, but lo- lots of things. So if you look at two thousand AD when we were children, like that was political. Filled. Yeah, you know, and it's just sort of inspired by you know the world you're in, as opposed to just an encapsulated little story that just starts and ends. And there you go. Yeah. Well, and um, t- well, tell me this: um, How did you get your cast then? How did those guys get on board? Was it just going saying, "Look, these would be ideal for the role"? Or what? Uh, it was a really long casting process, um, and part of the casting, part of the financing comes from casting. You know, you have these kind of lists, and the sales company are doing uh, okay. selling the film in advance based on who's in it, and that money is then used to like finance the film and all that kind of stuff so like I had all these lists of actors that I liked and the sales company would be like no 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 yes no 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 yes maybe is that frustrating no no yeah totally Um, but it was a steep learning curve because on without name we didn't have to deal with any of that because Green Ireland just financed the thing but it wasn't expensive but um, so I cast um, Mackenzie Davis to play Gemma, first of all. Um, Imogen was on the shortlist, but she actually wasn't available at the time. Um, so anyway, Imogen, or I went to, um, went to LA, met uh, Mackenzie, she'd read the script, liked it. We got on really well. She had loads of notes on the on the script. Uh, Garrett went and did an entire draft um, for she, her. She had great notes because by that time we'd been in development for a while and an awful lot of this excess kind of explanatory stuff had gone in if my memory mm. serves me right okay. and she spotted it you know she didn't even know what the term three nice structure is, eyes but she but she has an instinct yeah. Yeah. yeah and she um she just is uh just we learned about the characters as we go i think she was the first person to we kind of got back to what it was in the first place really, yeah you know? excellent um and uh, so then when Jesse Eisberg came on board, was that a bit later? Much later? Well, way later, yeah. So, yeah. so basically, Mackenzie was attached, and then. And what happened to Mackenzie? In the so end, then it? she got offered uh, the film The Turning, which was uh, some of it was shot in Ireland. Um, it's like the remake of The Turning of the Screw, The, the Innocence. Yeah, I've read the, And uh, she yeah. was also um, <clears throat> cast in the film, a little sort of mumblecore thing called Terminator. Well, that happened after. Dark but face. still, it was. It <laughs> that was all part. Postponed it first time for the turn. Yeah, so basically, we, we, we oh so that actress. So we yeah, asked yeah, us to yeah, wait. Yeah. We, so we were supposed to wait until after uh, the turning. We waited, and um, then we had. So it was. I was trying to cast a guy to go with her, and she's very tall. So we're trying, looking at all these guys in their thirties to play kind of second fiddle to the female lead, and that was really difficult because mm-hmm. they don't want to. They want to just yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris be Abbott was guys. up for it. Yeah, and, and then Chris was, Abbott. Chris Abbott was attached to play with Mackenzie then she got off of Terminator 6 or whatever it is and it was like okay this is never gonna this is never gonna they were asking us to wait like about a year or something so it was like okay no uh, that's not gonna work so we had to uh, totally start from scratch which was kind of um, it was kind of liberating because the whole time we were kind of tied in with her and height wise trying to match up with the guy and all this stuff so suddenly it was wide open again and went back and said, okay, let's just go uh, send it to Imogen. So Imogen was then actually available and she had read it and she liked it. So we met her and then she, two of us sat down and started talking about um, who we'd cast as the guy. And then she was like, um, what about Jesse Eisenberg? And like Jesse wouldn't have worked with Mackenzie because mm-hmm. she's like about 6'5 or something. Um, See, I think that would have worked. Yeah, <laughs> would have been like boxes and all that. He couldn't do any wides. And, um, yeah, she she was talking about Jesse, and I was like, that would actually be really interesting. I thought because he's got like a really kind of interesting face, and so she and 
they had worked together before in a couple of films. They were very comfortable together. Totally. They, yeah. they worked really well. I thought there was a nice chemistry with them. Yeah. And you understood both sides of it where they just kind of pushed it away from each other. It worked really nice. Yeah. So then she was, because she knew him, she was able to like go, oh, here, I'll send him the script now if that's cool. So I mm. quickly legged it out and rang the sales company and the producers were they okay and all with that. that. And they were like, absolutely, if you can get Jesse, then we're laughing. So she was like, okay, like press send on her phone and fired off the scripts. And like he read it in like two days or something. And um, he loved it and wanted to meet. And then actually, and then he was, he had, uh, he had commented too, on the yeah. script as well, just about taking out all that kind of more stuff uh, exposition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically never referencing the place uh, in dialogue themselves, really. Okay. You know, like saying like, hey, isn't it weird that we're stuck in this place? Um, not that they said that previously no. but you know what I mean yeah there was a bit of I mean like if someone said to me a script is a sales document mm. and I might put in some crap that I know lock and will just take out and you edit so you you might have more expository dialogue and stuff in it yeah. that some people have requested I can't even remember how it goes I, I came so. across a, a nice quote Jeff Daniels was talking about scripts and he goes he said well, you know I understand you have to write your scripts and your direction and all that but it makes sense to everybody else but it would be very nice if I got a script when they just had my dialogue in it and the other person's dialogue yeah. and then we could bring our acting ability to the script yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's not I could understand I know that, Jessica you know? Lang and Jean Hackman are two people and sure there's loads more that, that, that but they're two of my favourites that yeah. read the script I mean she's better than everything she's in but like uh, totally agree they, 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 they almost everything she, she's <laughs> anyway um, they read the script as close as possible to shooting day and stuff like that I remember reading a book and they, they were in it talking about it and anyway I don't know it's about acting isn't it? <laughs> so do you find that actors just mangle your words Scar uh, yeah, you have to just cry them. into a hanky they while, while they, they destroy your, your you dialogue you know uh, I think uh, by the way uh, Mackenzie and Chris Abbott great actors you know they're deadly mm. oh I thought you were uh, I mean I fucking hate a dark fate but I really loved her in it but like I'm also I love the way it worked out because actually I, was, I, I think Imogen is like perfect yeah. you, well you can, uh, you can yeah, never actually. imagine the film that it wasn't but it must be really interesting for you guys Imogen Imogen in my mind's eye was 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 I think initially would have been more Gemma, you know. Yeah. And as I was watching the dailies as they came back, I was on the set a bit when it was in Ireland. But uh, uh, I, I love Imogen, and I think she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really is. Uh, and Jessie's great too. But just for Imogen for for a bit, like she. Do you remember the bit where you were shooting? I was on there on set that day. And they were shooting the bit where she gets the boy to imitate who he met that day. Okay, yeah, yeah. Find out where he's been. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just amazing to watch her. Um, And uh, Larkin says to me, I feel bad asking her to do it again. (laughs) Because it was, you know, it's almost like she was upset. Well, she was. She takes herself there, like, mentally. to For those very sort of harrowing moments, she doesn't just turn it on. She kind of really goes there. And then when you call cut, like... It's not like she springs back. It takes a while. Like she gets to go off for yeah. a little while, and like I don't know what where she goes. Did they Did both even, method actors. They're both quite different. Um, I think they're both different. I think Imogen's a little bit more kind of wild and um, and not unpredictable, but like it just has a different style. Where Jesse's a little bit more um, uh, precise or, or he, he, he likes direction to be str- straight away. Um, like you know, he doesn't mind if you go like that. Was you know, literally touch your ear after two point four seconds, and then do that. Like he doesn't mind. Very kind of uh, he would be insulted by that kind of thing. Yeah, no, no. So, uh, but some actors, yeah, you know, it's just different styles. But they definitely have. They although they have different styles, they kind of mesh quite well together. So, like uh, I think Alec Guinness told a story with David Lean. He said that uh, his director's directing. So, like he said, well, he, he likes the exterior. And then what do you mean? He said, well. He might ask you to touch your nose at the end of a scene. (laughs) But again, there'll be a reason that you'll see in the cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But that will go to the next scene. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But that's it. It's interesting. I suppose as a director, then, how sensitive do you think you need to be for different performers? Um, Obviously, children are different again, but with with actors, is it the conversation building up to it? I think, Um, like, in hindsight, I think, um, yeah, it's weird. Like, I was in, uh, where was I? Glasgow, just uh, a few days ago, Glasgow Film Festival with Imogen. And uh, we got to hang out and talk for ages. And the last time that happened was when we first met to talk about the yeah. script. 
So this is like on set. There's just so little time yeah, just, that all of the conversations were actually way before shooting and talking about it and just kind of getting a sense of the kinds of films. Like I, I gave her loads of films to watch um, and talked about, you know, art and photography and books and all sorts of stuff. So I think we were just sort of, you know, artistically or creatively on the same page going into it and same with Jesse. But then like while shooting, there was never any time really. For most part of it, 70% of it's two-hander. Yeah. And that's pretty intense yeah. for just the, the, that kind of a. We got that of, idea uh, from, you know, those... Sort of East Enders, two handers. I thought it was Stepton Son you got it from. <laughs> yeah, it was Stepton Son, you're right. Yeah. Can't spoof you. <laughs> yeah, I put the one on words. <laughs> so, um, how long was the shoot? It was um, five and a half weeks. That's a pretty, that's a big enough shoot for that. Good job. It was supposed to be seven. Well, yeah. <laughs> and was there a lot of um, uh, abrupt kind of changes over the course of the shoot because of budget that yeah, you found totally, in the yeah, way yeah, or yeah. like a week before shooting the, um, some money was lost and it was like oh. so we went through the scripts um, Garp and Alan, I think it's it amazing how yeah. pencil yeah. can kind of fix money problems it was a heat wave <laughs> we got rid of about 50 scenes or something it's it's tiny heat, scenes a heat wave and uh, many major crimes I went through it with uh, with Brunella and we I was going to take out massive stuff. She was like, no, no, no. You see this scene here? (laughs) You see this scene here where they go up the stairs? And he's like, yeah, you don't need that. I was like, okay, no stairs. Yeah. The other way, you could spend like an hour though, like setting up lights and everything to shoot something that's like in between two scenes. It's totally unnecessary. See, the house in the state, I don't think we need that. So it was a heat heat wave as well. Family were having a barbecue out the window. I laid the blind down when I was visiting. Oh, so you were just trying to go to the barbecue? Yeah. Anyway, that's what I remember. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little bit more uh, stressed. (laughs) So, would would any of them creatively upset you? And then you could look back at them and go, okay, Uh, it doesn't really matter. Or do you feel like, oh, I'd love to have done that? Um, some stuff you just never really know, you know. Uh, we did shoot some some additional scenes. We actually spent five days shooting at this big climax uh, in the film that needed so much kind of VFX to finish mm-hmm. that it was not going to... It was. It, we'd either need to put all our resources into that and not have any of the rest of the film or have the rest of the film and nip that bit out. It was only like about two minutes of kind of like, well, with some extra stuff. And um, so we ended up giving it the chop. That was, that still kind of makes me go. But um, for for me, um, uh, I'm perfectly happy with it. Uh, Somebody asked me if we could have everything we wanted versus how it is now. Like, which would I prefer? And I thought it was a good question. And I felt, at the very least, I felt ambivalent about it. But I think that this sort of um, ending that's on it is just more psychologically horrific that that additional stuff would have diminished that, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's it's, it's a deep cut at the end. Mm. Yeah. you think of all the reason for everything. Yeah, I was walking and and Larkin rang me and um, just says, I'm going to drop this part you know you're very attached to it and everything but it's fine yeah uh, did much more get dropped in the edit um, we dropped a couple of scenes that we shot nothing major like there was a scene where the boy was talking about um, he was at the edge of the hole and Jesse's digging and he was like why do people have jobs oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah he's like because otherwise you'll go you'll go crazy he's like <laughs> if you stop if you stop digging will you go crazy um, but like things like that which were like you didn't need because it was obvious what about those conversations Jesse had with the boy in the that well that was another reason for taking it out was actually mm. that they just had a kind of um, a, an argument and stuff and then yeah. it seemed wrong for him to actually talk to him at all and so then it kind of had an angry ending but it, it just seemed it was just an exchange that was unnecessary I, I personally just found it very funny with Jesse Wolf and make his food so he quit and dig his hole yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just made me laugh because yeah. I remember like oh yeah I've I'm, I'm got something to do <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah can I bring it with me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like all that stuff. Everybody I, picked up on the the whole as the kind of futile sort of. Uh, yeah, it's it's the pushing the the, the rock up the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of a yeah. well, who's that character to push the rock? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Yeah. Like uh, you know, as David Graeber goes on about useless jobs as well. You know, 
not to as well. We worry as well about this that we're kind of like we're artists <laughs> and you guys are all wasting your time. Mm. Like that, we don't. That's a lot of bollocks as well. Like you know, next one we do, we'll pick on artists. <laughs> yeah. So w- when is the comedy coming? The pure comedy? Are you gonna have you got well, something in the boil? Um, pure comedy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's like an element of comedy. It's it's, Honestly, it's it's funny how different people will like in, in Ireland and in Scotland people find Vivarium like really funny. <laughs> and then uh, in other countries they're a bit kind of more you know it, they find it more <laughs> harrowing or something um, well that's because we do that culture harrowing things yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what we do is it's at the yeah. edge of the grave humor yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. It, it's either laugh at it or go awful oh, <laughs> hell a friend of mine said that she was she was Busting her whole laugh, and it's I, I, I'm not going to give every spoiler, you know, but like some we very dark well, bits. We haven't spoiled that much, believe it or not. No, we haven't. We have actually, to, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was some very dark bits that, and she said, "Well, I just couldn't stop laughing." But I know that she's the type of person that if you told her, I'm afraid everybody you know has died in a bus accident. <laughs> she burst her whole laugh, mm. but she'd be horrified. That yeah. would be her heart. I, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's her way of crying. Yeah, yeah, which makes everybody else angry. Crying, um, and then. Uh, you know the whole. I mean, the Irish people do have, and I think Brits as well have uh, uh, that sort of gallows humour. Yeah, that, and they're able to go from things being funny to things, but also knowing it's not funny. You know what I mean? Which again makes it really interesting. As a, I hate the market for being an Irish film, but mm. it's it's quite strong and unusual for an Irish film to have that kind of humour run through. I haven't seen it like I can think of. Really, that runs that way, didn't you? Yeah, I don't know. I can see it in literature, all right. If you want to go and find the, you know, yeah. good old Flannel yeah, Brian or yeah, yeah, Brian yeah, and Nolan, yeah. but not in film. Yeah. yeah, I think though that's also you know just uh, a, a medium. You know that like, because um, we were talking about this a while ago. It's like folklore had a lot of this kind of Irish folklore that has a lot of this kind of yeah. interesting, weird, dark stuff. But like you know, f- films now could be considered folklore in a way. It's just a different technique of, of yeah. telling the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Um, it's not everything is being homogenized, but I suppose you're more aware of it when you see, um, I suppose, the likes of if you look at a lot of Korean films, they, they do that ba- balance and act all the time, yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. Bong Joon being the obvious one, yeah, that's right, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and I said, This hasn't you don't see it so much, as, uh, which is what, what again, the sales agent thing you mentioned, like if you're trying to build, you're, you're trying to sell something, and it's still unusual, but you're still trying to find where it goes on the shelf, yeah, and you're do, dealing with those aspects by trying to get the characters are going to fit into. I don't know who you thought of when you were writing it, or did you even have faces yeah, on yeah, characters? Yeah, I, I, when it came to the estate agent, um, I mean, I prefer what we have. But he's like, great, he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, you thought of him as being kind of more scary. Yeah, he, he was yeah. Like a, he was like a kind of marionette. I mean, he would be funny still, but he he just would be like somebody who would... Um, he was very hypnotic, but like the mystery man, yeah, he was the mystery man in uh, Lost Highway. So, <laughs> oh, Robert Blake. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, like he. Um, yeah, he's just just so slightly different to what Jonathan I, I, and Larkin when I saw him in Lost Highway. Though I just kept thinking he looked like Uncle Fester. Oh, I thought he. I thought he. I I love all those guys. The cowboy and yeah. all. And all cowboy this, is brilliant. Yeah, his yeah. sort of whole yeah. cast of. Um, he uh, is at the same milk all right. Yeah, yeah, spectral sort of uh, <laughs> agents, and we don't know what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, rip that off one day. Yeah, but again, you go full circle with that character in a different way than. Yeah, yeah, which we won't mention. But I always when I I read him as being kind of funny or something. I don't know why. Oh, um, no, it was a bit funny. I mean, the show he was. Yeah, well, his dialogue, with. the shit he was yeah. coming out with, was like too mental to for it to yeah. be taken completely seriously you know so even the way they react to him is a bit kind of like yeah again we don't spend long in the so-called real world no I mean, we've got a very strong image at the start to kind of foreshadows where we're going yeah with the bird and the tree the cuckoo going into the nest yeah. but where did you get that footage by the way was it was it, it was um, Getty supplied the footage ah, but okay. it needed a lot of kind of manipulation to make it look um, was it in bits it was, well, it, it didn't look, like it had, kind of had to be, if I squashed it down to like four or three and stretched it back out to give it a kind of softness that would come from okay. um, shooting anamorphically, which we did with the rest of the film, and then kind of um, a little bit of uh, blur top and bottom and 
a little bit of distortion and then kind of had to grade it to make it look like the rest of the stuff. And You see, yeah. I, I like that because I felt that it ha- even if it had been plucked from a nature program to be thrown in there, it still felt like it worked. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the raw that, footage was It had like, that rich uh, colour quality of some old kind of Kodachrome or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the real world being the school, we, we get to find that they work together and we see real kids asking real them those kids, questions. Yeah. The scene with the little girl and the birds and, and that, which was really, really nice. Was there a worry spending too long there and how it would affect the, the later scenes? I think we kind of learned a bit from Without Name that like, just get going. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, you do all this development stuff and a lot of the time there's all this backstory, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, you end up just, you might shoot it, but you end up just cutting it. Yeah. Um, Would your actors have had huge conversations about their characters and who they were that um, were useful? Not really. I mean, like they they did. Like I think yeah, Jesse went went off and like I think he did talk to some uh, like landscape gardeners and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> they should have uh, spoken to my mate Paul. <laughs> Paul and Rocha are friends of mine. She's a teacher and he's a he's oh, a landscaper. So um, I mean, I think they did that separately. You know, they they knew what it was supposed to be so they kind of they had suggestions I remember one stage um, we were talking about Imogen's accents um, she was talking about doing it as American because Jesse's uh, American obviously and like that people might find it's weird that she's English and mm-hmm. he's American then and then like if she's going to be British where is she from in England because she's got quite she's a she's doing a Northern English accent for yeah yeah we thought about that and then it was just like no but there's so many of those what, what are you talking oh, about oh totally no, but then Yorkshire. it's also <laughs> well, that doesn't yeah, um, yeah. That, it was unnecessary accent. it was a Yorkshire accent I just thought it was unnecessary I like her yeah. Her. I just liked her accent so do I, yeah. you know, I just like really liked her accent and also like it's so normal to see an English uh, you know an American English couple or an Irish American you know whatever yeah, mm, yeah. mixed people well again they weren't they, they were living in the world of the story rather than in a, a geological location of a country and they were from yeah it was supposed to be kind of said anywhere so yeah. like like well, we did worked. have the school originally was in belgium but then we ended up like we were supposed to shoot all the just do all the kind of yonder exterior builds in ireland and have all of the other stuff in belgium we went to belgium uh, scouting it all and then just the day before we left it was like oh no actually this isn't going to work <laughs> we have to flip it around uh can you find us a warehouse really quickly so then there's people out luckily belgium has these gigantic warehouses which you don't have here um, really? So like we couldn't find anywhere big enough here to build a set and have room for lighting as well um, in Ireland. Because all the big stages and all that were taken up with TV shows and we probably couldn't afford them anyway. So it worked out in the end. But, uh, Ta- okay, yeah. Let's a bit shout out for your composer and for your choice of music. Oh yeah, Christian Anderson. He's great. Yeah, he's like sound designer and composer. He did it with uh, Jacques Peterson. Is also... Um, uh, it's sort of co-sound designed with him and uh, how was the music apparent from the very start or as he went along no we plan was to have no music uh, okay just sound design and then um, and a bit of reggae thrown in on the radio yeah 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 <laughs> well yeah that was that. like that originally was supposed to be punk in the in the film but we found it too like it was really hard to try and find music for them to not be too cool yeah or like too counterculture you know what I mean? And uh, punk is usually angry. You know, ska is more celebratory. Yeah. Normally. I think the ska works well because it's, uh, it it's has this juxtaposition yeah. to the to the place, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, Christian started doing sound design and then we were like, I kind of need a bit of music here. <laughs> and then a bit of music and I was like, oh, this film kind of likes music. As in, like, sound design I'm turning into I'm trying to think of a horror film that doesn't use music that I can think of. I'm sure you can think of one off the top of your head. Well, I like, Foxes is no music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the... the uh, you know, I'd have to go through them all, but, like, um, sometimes I, find, I love The Haunting, but I think the yes. music kind of wrecks it. I think it'd be better without a lot of the incidental music. Uh, for The Innocence, where... They would go into these, Daphne Oren would provide these electronic, which we talked about before, Foxes. Okay. Daphne Oren would provide these kind of electronic sounds that would be more suitable for a science fiction film with a yeah, robot. Yeah, in yeah, it. yeah. The harmonium but, and all that. No, she's kind of just effing around, you know, and they kind of listen to it. Check out the clip on YouTube, I think it is, because I was I think I sent to somebody recently again, like where she sees what's her name in the reeds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so when she's kind of stepping out of her sanity or whether it's her 
she's seen a ghost, it's up yeah. to you. Um, they use this kind of different sound. But is that is that music? Is that, like, Daphne Oren would be strictly a, a musician. But that's sound design more to me. You well, know? that was the thing. This was supposed to just be sound design. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, uh, using things like the sound of a fridge yeah. and the things that would exist there. But... Um, that it's like this kind of closed off sphere that, you, you know, they can yeah. themselves. But then the more we worked on it, the more kind of realized that certain parts needed music. And then it kind of built up, which is a totally different kind of approach than we did on Without Name because Neil O'Connor and Gab O'Brien scored that, but they started scoring it off the script, which then we used in the edit. Um, yeah. Why, so like even the music was kind of uh, informing some of the so it was it an earlier shape for use for you when you were doing yeah even book? shooting stuff you kind of know that this okay. is this hypnotic kind of drone it's, nice, stuff it's a bit of a luxury in a way isn't it yeah, yeah totally yeah. I'd, I'd, I'm going to try to do it again on, on Nocebo but um, so it was it was a little bit kind of like uh, not knowing what, what the, what the film was going to sound like but knowing that it needs to be finished <laughs> soon, you've only got a certain amount of time okay. with, the, with the sound design. So was it in late? The guys were in late with the um, Yeah, well, it was kind of like, Christian is very kind of a chill dude. So he was he was like, oh, I'll be fine, don't worry. But obviously, you know, I'd just be concerned because like <laughs> my film and all. Um, but uh, so th- then we started experimenting with uh, percussive instruments and stuff. Um that he he knew a guy who had like millions of these kind of handmade instruments and then he went off and recorded and sampled and then he started like um kind of messing around and distorting some of those sounds to then build up this soundscape but we did spend a lot of time uh, doing the sound in we did that in Denmark and Copenhagen mm-hmm. and then he sort of found something that was that I really liked and then we just kind of developed that cuz it's quite a weird uh soundtrack yeah I, it's funny I can't remember it exactly but I can remember the sensation of it yeah it yeah, really yeah. went with the, the mood of the place and yeah. that whole artificiality is, yeah. is in, in in those kind of uh, yeah. notes but it's good that your musicians are obsessive if they weren't you shouldn't be in a musician really yeah 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 exactly yeah <laughs> because then the, the reggae kind of acts as a kind of uh, respite it's got that normality and, yeah. and what I loved was it, it it was a great piece of character music the reggae because we understood the two of them because they both like the same music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that one thing the couples have that yeah, or a good couples have shown that, and then that moment of respite they have when they have find that there's a bit of power left in the battery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. A you, I remember that scene came and I go, oh god, the poor bastards. That's yeah, the good. Yeah. That's <laughs> that the intention. That scene was yeah, it was supposed to completely just break this yeah. crushing thing and bring them back to their world you know and, and then the boy comes out and like boy it. fucks it up like. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like date night but uh, it actually was though uh, do you remember the, they did have way more dialogue um, driving there yeah um, but it kind of knew that once if they both kind of sang along to a song that would probably visually tell us enough that mm. like they know each other for ages and and they're both in the same kind of music and all that in a very kind of simple way. So we ended up cutting um, the rest of the dialogue where they yeah. were talking about moving in together. And, and the logistics of their arrangements. Yeah, I think characters, people doing things anyway. So if they're doing them with a certain right, the right intent for the story, that's yeah. all the character you yeah. need. Totally, yeah. totally. I think a lot of people might expect, you know, think, to know things about them that would be you know, like he gets his confidence back or she gets her confidence <laughs> back or something. It's kind of trite, mm. really, you know. Uh, s- sometimes it's suitable, but not all the time. You remember Jesse was terrified of doing that scene, though. It was like, he was more worried about that than anything else having to dance. Which scene was this now? The dancing scene? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he hates dancing. So he's yeah, just he like, oh, he's like, a dancer. He leaps about <laughs> all gormless like a proper punk. <laughs> Yeah, but isn't yeah, that yeah. what that dance is? Yeah, exactly. It's just letting it all hang out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was, it was you could enter the foggy Jew on Sunday and watch the Bionic Rats <laughs> yeah. action and you just see that you know, no one gives a flying fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, so you, you've got a, a, a lot of things in the pipeline and you guys are going to be working together for the foreseeable future, I hope. Uh, yeah, I've, I've cloned Garrett in case there's an accident. Or Brilliant. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a good, good one there, yeah. Cloned writers. And I have the Android. <laughs> How many guards would it take to write Shakespeare? About <laughs> <laughs> one. One. <laughs> one on a bad day. But. <laughs> so uh, can you talk about anything in the pipeline at all? Yeah. Yeah. One talk. <laughs> well, 
What if? <laughs> uh, we're doing one called uh, Nocebo, which is... Uh, ah, you're better at this stuff. <laughs> it's a supernatural revenge thriller set between the Philippines and the kind of European city. I think it's London, really, at the moment. Um, it's about a fashion designer and a Filipino nanny. And it kind of is taking aim at the fast fashion uh, industry and exploitation of the East by the West. And we kind of delve into some kind of interesting stuff around uh, the power of the mind to either cure or harm the body, the placebo effect. And then it's got the evil twin version, which is the nocebo. And that's what the film's called. Nocebo. Oh, sounds interesting. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. We're kind of, we're, we're, we're like in the process of, um, you know, we're about to start casting and all that stuff. So we're planning shooting it in September, October. Yeah, it'll be great if it goes ahead. So, oh, yeah. that's, so that's why you're in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're chasing down comic book artists. We're well. meeting witches and uh, sorcerers. And so it's all in that w- world of witches, yeah? Uh, in a kind of uh, ambiguous way as to whether you, you know, is it supernatural or is it the mind yeah. um, making things manifest? Which yeah, is also a possibility. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And uh, is Philippines uh, got a big witch superstition? Oh, yeah. I know they're quite superstitious, and they're quite. Yeah, there's an island called Secohor, which we went to, which is like a witch island, and like people are actually afraid to go there still. It's yeah, a friend of mine did a, a small documentary there years ago, and he said they're the loveliest people in the world. Yeah, and they kill you at the drop of a hat. Oh well. <laughs> no, but I understood. You mean like Americans? I said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Of course, I didn't say that. They're lovely people. Yeah, but I mean, like, apparently, like uh, you can get a hit done there for quite cheap. Yeah, yeah, we got a few hits done. Yeah, yeah, sweet money. And yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. Do it. guys. On that note, thank you so much for coming in. I hope the film is really well, and uh, look forward to the next one. Thanks, Tom. And uh, thank you for uh, for letting us chat. Yeah, thanks, pleasure. thanks, Paul. As well, thanks, Steve. Thanks, thanks Steve. Steve.